This is a HeadGum Podcast. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Dear Papa, we come before you on our hands and knees, on all fours really, and in supplication, in fasting, in prayer, in patience, in kindness, and gentleness, all the fruits of the Spirit, selflessness, self-control, grape, strawberry, apple, all the fruits of the Spirit, Lord. And you may look like a lot of different things to a lot of different kinds of people, but we know that we serve one true God. And that God looks a certain way. Isn't that right, Caroline? Sister Caroline. Amen, God. Um, I mean, Papa. Papa, can you hear me? If you can. I pray that when people imagine you or one of your triune bodies, Lord, that they would remember and think of me, that I perhaps could be one of the hotter versions of you, perhaps the Holy Spirit or Jesus seems to be, you know, where it's at. They're young, they're cool, they're hip, they're Mm. relatable. So God, I know that I am all of those things. And so if I can make you seem more approachable by letting our listeners, our followers believe that you look like me, may it be so. Amen. Papa, I want to echo that prayer. (laughs) And say that my prayer today is that for every listener that still prays to you, that they do imagine the Holy Trinity as the Trinity of this episode that they're listening to right now. And who is the Papa? Who is the hot Holy Spirit? And who is the hot Jesus is entirely up to them, but that it is the three of us. And that's the faces they see. And that's the voices they hear. And it's for all these things In Papa's name we pray. Papa. Papa. (laughs) Amen. 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 Busted Satan's ass every day. (laughs) Are you familiar with like Calvinism as a concept? Right. This is so good. <laughs> Thank you, Kirk Franklin. Welcome to Good Christian Fun. I'm Kevin. I'm Caroline. And we're here to have some good Christian fun. That was Brother wow. Kirk Franklin giving us a blessing over uh, that the podcast. whole song today. was such a blessing, Kevin. Thank you for the refresh on that. We did a little refresh, and as a listener, and, and perhaps our guests may have noticed, the theme song is a work of controlled chaos that's meant to <laughs> sort of encapsulate 
the ethos of what we're here to do on the show, our mission, our purpose, and then whatever's trending on TikTok at the time as well. Like, I'm in pajamas, um, things like that. We're just here to have good Christian fun, though. Good Christian fun is the podcast where we talk about Christian pop culture, the music and the movies and the entertainment made for and made by Christians. But sometimes, maybe those Christians aren't so happy about the pop culture that was made. Maybe they have a few Sometimes notes. The, the Christians reject the very media made for them. Some and, and isn't that an interesting little microcosm of rebellion to examine? But we're not here to make fun of you, and we're not here to make you go to church, I promise. We're just here to have fun. It's okay. It's safe. You can trust us, and we're really nice. Again, we are the face of the Trinity that you will imagine tonight as you say your nightly prayers. That's right. And isn't that a lovely and beautiful thing? Caroline, we're doing it. It's the shack. The it's a shack sh- attack. Shack attack. I mean, and, and the, the, the jokes go on from there. Uh, <laughs> nothing but respect for my shack. And it's a picture of Shake Shack. Uh, you know, I, I, the shack was so moving. And it's the gif of Shaq doing his little shoulder dance that <laughs> we all know and love. But yeah. no, of course, we're covering the film adaptation of the best-selling and controversial Christian novel, The Shack. Caroline, were you familiar with The Shack before? Was familiar with The Shack. Mm-hmm. I have not visited The Shack before, yeah. but I was aware, and I was, in fact, inci- excited I get to visit The Shack this week because I never did before, and, and I was, what was What was your conception of The Shack before you actually visited it? What, was your, what did you think happened inside that shack before you went in it? Well, I thought it was going to be a very, uh, you know, very spiritual place, obviously, but I thought there were perhaps going to be a little bit more new age, age of Aquarius influences going on in there, you know, just something a little bit more of a free for all. And what I got was a little bit closer to, you know, a classic Christianity than I thought it was. Classic. Like they brought back the classic Coke, the classic (laughs) Christianity is here to say. Classic motifs. You thought you were getting like, Crystal Pepsi in this movie, but yeah. now it's classic Coke, babe. Yeah, which was funny because then, you know, uh, all the reading I did and the reactions to it were uh, accusing it of being very woo-woo and universalist and whatever. So I was like, wow, this has been a real whiplash to figure out where this movie lands on the spectrum. I think it's terrific. And for such a controversial topic, we couldn't tackle it alone we had to have a biblical scholar come on the show and we're going to introduce that person right now (laughs) friends and folks she is a comedian she is an actress you've seen her in such projects as euphoria marriage story or spider-man colon homecoming or baskets give it the hell out for martha yeah hi guys hey hi Hello. I'm just enjoying. I'm enjoying the song. Oh, sorry, I talked over it. Oh no! Well, we can turn it back up. It's all good. It's pretty great. I love uh, every time that I've listened to your podcast. When it gets to that song, it makes me laugh every time. And now we come to the revelation that Martha has listened to the podcast before. Yep. Wow. Of course. That's so nice. It is, I will say, because uh, not only for people that we admire who who we're we're less close to, but also just anytime there's a friend that says, oh yeah, it's like you were talking about on the show the other day. 
It's still this far into the show after doing it oh. since 2017. Still feels like a violation of privacy, <laughs> which is stupid. <laughs> it's like, oh, that. why would you do that? It's like, because it's a public show. Yeah, like out. between your brunch with Zendaya and then visiting Sydney Sweeney's garage, <laughs> I like, how does she have time to even pop by our audio shack, let alone? The podcast is yeah. the audio shack. That's what we're, we're kind of establishing right now. And that's so, the place where horrifying things happen. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. So do you, because I fantasize about starting a hit podcast so that I can never have to work with other people again, um, just because uh, specifically acting, because I'm always really nervous at acting jobs. But when you do your podcast, do you picture it just going like you record and it's just you guys. And then when you upload it, you just forget about it and don't think about the people listening. Or do you think about, I don't know. Do you know what I'm asking? Yes, Cause yes. I don't. Does I feel it feel like, like it a, a, like a invitation to a larger conversation or like a closed loop system in which once Does, we're done recording, we're done. Yeah. Like, do you feel like you're protected from an audience? That's my main question. How to protect myself <laughs> from audiences. <laughs> I feel like so we should ask you, have... you that. You're the stand-up, right? You face an audience far more often than we do. Yeah. But it's, I think because of not doing it during the pandemic, it, now it's mm. been two years since I've done stand-up in front of a live audience. Um, I'm more inclined to remember the the things I don't like about it, <laughs> which is mainly if there's a if there's a mad person in the crowd. So then I mm. that's why I'm like the perfect vocation would be hit podcast host because then you pay your bills, but you can avoid you only ever have to see people you want to see. Exactly, now and your your audience interaction is always mediated by the internet which you can just pull the plug on that sucker and you don't have internet anymore. You don't have to check the comments. You don't got to read the DMs. Um, right. And I feel like also podcast listeners, usually in my experience, very friendly, not a hostile crowd, not there yeah. to pick a fight. Especially if the podcast is of a size that doesn't <laughs> invite <laughs> it. Because <laughs> like if your sample size is a million, if like 1% of those people are mean, that's a lot of people. But if your yeah. size of the audience is a mm, couple thousand and then it's 1% of that, hey, that's like one guy and that's Strategic. okay. Strategic. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're talking about. But um, no, there are definitely more layers of safety involved with yeah. podcast creation and a lot more control. But the thing that doesn't feel safe still or feels like the most vulnerable in some ways, I, I would say it's not even necessarily audience relationship as much as it is booking, because every time hmm. it feels like you're asking someone to go on a date and it, in terms right. of vulnerability and, hey, do you want to volunteer time? It'll be really fun. I promise. Like, do you like me? I, I'll always think about it in those terms. Um, yeah. So that's the I would, part. too. Yeah, I would do, I would feel that way too. So then I then the daydream becomes do a podcast with no guests and never and maybe even don't upload it to the internet. Maybe just record it. That's what I like. 
file it away in a file cabinet and then you're really protected from people. Now, what we haven't seen yet and that I think might be really well suited is podcast by mail. So you record your podcast. M-A-I-L, not M-A-L-E. M-A-I-L, okay. yes. <laughs> All right. No, I got excited. Yeah, you could completely exclude. <laughs> <laughs> and then you sort of, instead of just filing, you know, you mail it to maybe five or six of your friends and you build from there, you know, and then they have to yeah. pass it around. It's like a, you know, cassette tape. Yeah, mm. and then you tell them, I don't want to hear your opinions unless yeah. they're good. <laughs> you write that on the CD or whatever. <laughs> Make fun. sure, like, compliments yeah. only. <laughs> well, <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I would say genuinely the closest version of this that we have probably commonly in the way we communicate now is the voice memo action available in iMessage, <laughs> in which you can send a teeny tiny little personal podcast oh my gosh, I want that. to a friend. And yes, Martha, yeah. if you made a group chat and then did a voice memo with like me and a few other people, I would mm-hmm. love it. That would be really it's enjoyable just like, for me. All right, here's Monday's you- episode. It just goes out to <laughs> 20 people in the chat. <laughs> that would be so great. That would be fun. Um, I predict that by the end of this podcast, Caroline, you'll be like, I wish I hadn't said that. I've changed my <laughs> mind about hearing this voice. In a memo or any other format, but just you haven't committed in writing, so okay. No, Ask no me at the worries. end of the podcast. I'll be honest. I'll be like, eh, never mind. Not yeah, for me. It's not binding. <laughs> I really do recommend it, especially for driving. Don't text and drive, but make a voice memo yeah. while driving. Way safer. Yeah, I, I I can't recommend enough. Or if you're on the skating rink, as we were talking about, you know, before mm-hmm. before we turn the mics on. Uh, but speaking of the things of our youth, we'd love to understand your kind of relationship and history, if any at all, with faith, religion, your idea of God, etc. Well, so I wasn't raised in any religion. We The only time I ever went to church as a kid was if like you did a sleepover at a friend's house and then they their family went on Sunday morning. And so church usually seem kind of exotic and like an adventure just because we never went. Um, But then in sixth grade, which was 81, uh, the the satanic panic had started. And so all the kids were talking about listening to rock albums backwards and Satan, the devil can possess you if you listen to a song in reverse. Right. And then I also found out if you've never been baptized, you're even more susceptible to being possessed by a demon. Oh, I Um, didn't know that. If you weren't baptized, you would be possessed. Or or you were susceptible. The water acts as a sort of shield for demons. Yeah, so you have no protection against demons if you haven't been baptized. And then... To, to make matters worse, in sixth grade, a girl moved mid in the middle of the year, moved to our school, and she was a proselytizing born-again Christian. I'm not proud of uh, this next part. When I heard <laughs> that there was a girl encouraging everybody not to cuss and not to listen to rock music and to believe in Jesus. I did go out of my way to cuss in her earshot, within her earshot, to just be 
uh, blatantly uh, rebel against it, which I'm not proud of that. Um, but then we became friends and then I really tried to do what she said of like, wow. well, how do I? And it didn't it didn't work. And then after that, I was like, either either it's not real or it is real. But God decided not you, lady. And so for a long time, I just was like, there's it's not real. Wait, what <laughs> so were you that, what were you trying to do to align with this young girl's worldview? What were, what were the kind of things you're trying to shape yourself into? Well, she just said, in order to be born again, you just have to say this prayer to Jesus where you, where you, I can't remember it, but it was, you know, like, um, Jesus, you know, please enter my heart and I believe in you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, and then you're born again and that you would feel something and I felt nothing. And then I was like, didn't work. And... So for a long time, I just, I did pray a lot as a teenager, probably a lot of teenagers do if they're having a rough time in high school, um, a lot of pleas for help, for popularity and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't really grow up with any kind of practice of faith. So did your parents have any kind of reaction to you being born again or being saved did they know I don't even know if I told them um because my my dad was raised Catholic and then he he like kind of left the church um not not in a huff just he got a he got divorced and then met my mom and they got married and had us and he didn't want to I guess in the Catholic church you can get an annulment, but then you, you're basically saying the kids from your first marriage are not your kids, and he didn't want to do that. It's like you have to say th- that marriage wasn't legitimate, which would mean your kids were not in the eyes of the church. And he, he was like, this doesn't make sense. And so he just kind of stopped going. Um, wow. wow. And then... Uh, and then my mom was raised Southern Methodist and um, I never, my mom was like a very, uh, it's no one's business what I think about God kind of person. So I don't remember her even telling me why she didn't go to church anymore, but she said she believed in God when I asked her. She she just didn't go to church and I'll, I'll never know why because she refused to talk about personal things even with <laughs> With her immediate family. Now, this is something Caroline and I are, are not familiar with, which is mothers with an air of mystery to what they believe. <laughs> That's not really a familiar dynamic for either of us, uh, yeah. for, for better or worse, as, as far as so that funny. stuff goes. But I mean, if I were you, man, if, if, if my mom was a little oblique about what she believed, I might be even more intrigued or interested in it in some ways. I yeah, I definitely have thought even like part of why I picked the movie of the choices that you gave me is because I hoped it would be one of these movies where I would it would make me cry and I would feel moved by it spiritually and I don't know and won't get into right now why that didn't happen but um like Tim McGraw's in the shack and he has a song called Live Like You Were Dying 
And mm. that song by itself can make me cry. So I definitely am susceptible to being moved by spiritual or religious ideas, but zero interest in getting up and going to church on any day, let alone on a weekend. Big so, barrier to entry for yeah. me as well. But spiritual transcendence yeah. is something you're very open to, very like, yeah, deal me in. I'll, I'll take a little buffet sampler of that. I Yeah, I've, and I've had experiences because of being a sober alcoholic where where I feel like I've received a like divine intervention type of help in my life. Um, but I still like, I, I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to go down a sad road. So th- I'll keep this short. But when I was holding my mom's hand when she passed and, um, and I didn't feel, I've heard people say like, oh, I was in the room with this person and I felt them, I felt their spirit and I didn't feel anything. It really disturbed me for a while. And then I kind of made peace with it. Um, where I just think like, who, there's no way to know any of this stuff, but I, but I just thought maybe she went as, as her, if, if we have a spirit as hers left, she may have, may have visited my dad. Um, because uh he had a dream that he saw her and he's told he had told me about it he thought he had really seen her but he didn't remember that he was asleep when she passed so maybe that's what happened anyway mm. i definitely had hoped that i would get some proof that she's that i'll see her again someday in an afterlife you know yeah yeah, because that's that's where all of this becomes a little less fun and academic to talk about in the sense of afterlife or good and evil or God, I don't know. But it, but it is when you are confronted with, well, this person is not here in this plane of existence anymore, as I understand it. So where does that go? Where does that energy go? Where does that love go? And it's kind of like uh, Caroline and I have talked about, you kind of for for a lot of this, especially when it kind of exists in this mushy nether region of of definition for what do I believe spiritually or not, you kind of it, it's kind of irrelevant to your life almost until you have kids maybe where it's like well what do I tell my son if he wants to go to church or doesn't want to go to church but then also right. that's another fulcrum moment where it's like well when someone I love is is dying or or dead how does that shape or reshape my my feelings about that stuff or in some senses, give me a sense of urgency to interrogate what I actually believe about that in the sense yeah. of of comfort or not. And and for some people, that the material world is all that there is, and that when a person is dead, they're dead, and, and that's all there is to it, is the most comforting thing in the world. And then for some, it's maddening where there's no extension or other part or progress to from this plane to the next. And yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm sorry to hear you had that experience where it it was kind of, you know, it, it sounds like it was just like a little disturbing that you didn't kind of get a, a larger feeling spiritually from that from that time. Yeah, and I asked a friend of mine who's a very devout Christian about it shortly after my mom died, and she was very sweet and comforting. Um, 
And I also just feel like if you, when you love people, they're, they are always part of your life because you always remember them and you still, your feelings aren't any less real just because you don't see them in person anymore. You know, it's just weird. Um, and you guys are young, so I'm about to ruin your day, but, um, when, (laughs) um, it's the natural cycle of life is that for most, in most cases, our parents pass before we do. And it's, that's the natural cycle, but it doesn't feel natural. Like your, your mom, especially, I mean, my dad too, he recently passed, but your mom, like you've never, you've never been alive without her also being there from the time that you were conceived uh, until she passes. And so a world without her in it feels unnatural and, and crazy for a while, you know, in the, in the grieving process. But yeah, I'm not a fan of, of nature, the cycle of life, uh, thumbs down on all of it. It can all go to hell. You hate that song. Elton John sucks. Yeah. (laughs) Don't like it. (laughs) The passage of time. (laughs) <laughs> One out of five stars, I'd say, personally. Yeah, mortality, um, no good, no and no thank you. No thanks, wouldn't recommend. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I know it's disappointing, these experiences you had, even when you were a kid, but um, I, I part of me is also really impressed with the fact that you were honest with yourself and with other people of like, I didn't feel something, you know, and you didn't generate a response or try to like feel like you felt something in order to make other people feel better or to like align with a certain experience. And that's impressive to me. Like not all of us have the strength, I think, that to be that honest about what actually it feels like to go through grief or lose something or not have the spiritual experience that people around you are having. And maybe the only comfort in that is like when you do have an experience or when you have felt something powerful, you know it's real and you don't have to doubt that because you don't lie to yourself about those things. Yeah, but although I will say like if, if for people who grow up in a religion, like um, that, that would be much harder to uh, – to not feel or think that you feel like if you grow up with that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So, but also over time, like, cause my mom passed away five years ago and over time, just through the process of grief and like going to therapy and stuff, realizing like, like I do have, a, I, I do have the ability to draw my own conclusion about my love for her and her love for me and our connection. And it doesn't change anything that, that when she took her last breath, I didn't, the room didn't light up or I didn't mm-hmm. feel, a, a, I don't know what I thought even. I don't know what people feel who feel that if it's like a, a, a gust of wind goes through them. I have no idea, but I expected it would feel some kind of supernatural thing. But then after a while, it's like, it doesn't, it, that's not important. It's um, what's really important to me is that she felt me there with her 
mm-hmm. at the end so that she wasn't alone. Like that's the the really important thing in the end, you know. Yeah, and so, that is very transcendent in and of itself, you know, that you these two animals are so connected that you were with her and she could feel that and that you still feel the love you have for her and the memories and everything, I suppose. I don't know, maybe that's something people say to grieving people a lot, but it's it's it still is. like very amazing to me, you know. Thanks, Caroline. I also have the deep admiration for her refusal to tell us anything about her personal life <laughs> from before we met her. <laughs> the who is she personified that it was Martha's mother. <laughs> Can I ask? I mean, this is I don't you don't have to answer this if you don't want to get into it. But like, did you do an investigation after she passed? Of like, can I find out more? Like, can I go through her papers or something and figure out something about this lady? I haven't, I've thought about, um, especially looking into like ancestry.com and Mm -hmm. her, my mom's side of the family, except that I do know for a fact that some of them were, uh, not good people. Like, uh, some of my grandparents generation were, were super racist in the Jim Crow South, and I don't want to know more about them, you know? Um, you need to turn that stone over. No, oh, thank you. Yeah. So that's been, like, part of me, I- I'm just an incredibly nosy person, so I do, <laughs> I did want to know more about my mom, but um, I don't want to look up crazy bad people <laughs> that I'm related to, so I don't know. Yeah, you kind of don't want to milkshake duck your own family right. in a way, I guess, <laughs> in a historical sense. Like the 23 and me of like, actually, they were a prolific <laughs> Nazi. Oh, God, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I could do without that, too. I've never had any curiosity about the genealogy stuff. Also, I, I wanted to say, like, as far as you recounting some of the last moments that you had with her. I think Caroline and I are definitely familiar, and you are too, even as someone who exists outside of the church, but Caroline and I are definitely familiar with a lot of, you know, um, deathbed narratives of final moments in which, man, there's one that's kind of burning my brain from a couple years ago where this man's very young daughter passed away of this like horrific cancer. And one of her final things or words that she said to him was, it's beautiful or something like that. It, it, it was like basically in the way this gentleman interpreted it is that, oh, it's heaven. And she saw like transcendence or afterlife. And just to be a little devil's advocate with it, I, something like that in retrospect, even though like I'm not attached to that, you know, person or that family at all. But th- those sort of narratives, especially given that that was like an evangelical Christian who was saying that, those those kind of strike me as kind of odd or, or disturbing in a different way sometimes in the presence of like, oh, and actually tidally she said, there's St. Peter, there's the gates, here I am walking on the road. That That sort of thing almost feels like, the capacity for the human mind or soul to contort itself into meaning making and coping mechanisms. Like it, it, can, it can be troubling in a different way. I don't know, but I feel like I've heard a lot of those stories in a way that kind of like you, Martha has maybe set me up for when those last moments come for whoever the person is in my life or in my own life, there will be some sort of like 
button that makes that links it to some sort of sort some sort of eternal mystery, but I'm not comforted right. by those anymore uh, in the same well, way. Um, I'm sorry, I cut, you weren't finished, and I started. Oh no, I was no, I was done. Uh, that was my last thought I had for this podcast. <laughs> Caroline, take um, it away. <laughs> Well, I have a, I have a, a, I just remembered a friend of mine uh, who, uh, something he told me about his near death experience. But before that, just, it just occurred to me when you said that about St. Peter and the, and the gate was the weirdness of believing that there would be a need for a gate in a in a <laughs> spiritual realm like about but, that. yeah well <laughs> saint peter is kind of the the forerunner of gatekeeping in that sense and, and he is problematic for that reason <laughs> he's always just like build the wall build the wall yeah yeah honestly <laughs> unfortunately but carolyn were you gonna at uh, carolyn were you gonna say something about in response to kevin before i jump into my other dumb long story that i, I have a million of <laughs> please start your podcast <laughs> now i would like to hear it <laughs> well i just remembered because kevin you were you were talking about what's comforting or not comforting and my friend clinton told me when he was a teenager he fell through a glass shower door and he was home alone and he bled out, and by the time they found him and took him to the hospital, he like he was considered. They had to bring him back from from not being alive for a very short time, but long enough that he has a memory of it. And his memory is that he felt a loss of the. You know how when you dream, you don't necessarily. D- have your point of view that you do when you're awake in terms of your own identity like you're maybe different in a dream it's not who so he he said he lost any feeling of who he was specifically in his life and how he looked at things and just felt um a part of this really love loving powerful euphorically happy presence and that he could see his body on the operating table. And then he was really happy and really loved it and was happy to be on that on his way. And then as he came back into his body, not that he was sad he came back, but just that he real he remembers the shift from that consciousness to back into, oh, I'm this I'm 15 and I'm this wow. how I, yeah so I found that comforting cuz I I would really love to think that everybody no matter whether their fellow humans enjoy being connected to them or not I would like to think that we all are connected to something and and really feel it when we die or or else we just it's lights out and you never know and who cares Either way, yeah, I just on it. That also, what you're just what your friend is describing. I've heard people also describe like certain <laughs> drug trips like that, and I don't know which drug it is, but there's one that like I think they call it like an ego death, like that feeling where you're like I don't have a mushrooms an identity. is like that. Yeah, and like it's a weird thing your wow. brain can do, um, and then 
that exact thing you described of like, I feel like I'm kind of one consciousness with all the living things and everything, which, uh, by the way, what the hell? Like your brain can just turn that on on occasion is <laughs> very disturbing to me. You said what <laughs> like the hell is if you have a, comp- you want to speak to the manager about that? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Where's the complaint <laughs> going? Up with is there a survey I can answer? Probably. I would answer it. Um, so, I mean, whether or not that was a transcendent experience for him, uh, it's like, that sounds terrifying to me now, but I think if I were dying or if I were in a really bad spot, that sounds extremely lovely. And like, whether it's a miracle or not, like, I love that our brains find ways to comfort us as we go or when we're in like that, you know, unconscious state. The thing that trips me out though, is like, if he had no consciousness, how would he in his brain realize he was on an operating table? That's the spooky part for me. So I'm like, maybe he did see something. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know. It's all, it's all really uh, unanswerable until I guess until we die, you know? Yeah. And then we won't be able to report back and share our findings. So (laughs) But thankfully, Clint's story was adapted into a book and movie called Heaven is for Real, and you can read it and watch it wherever you get your, that book your Christian media, so Clint Burpo is his name. Oh, gracious. Well, uh, speaking of death and coping mechanisms and grief, it might be a good opportunity to talk about the movie today, but first, let's take a break. And Martha, thank you so much for sharing you, your Martha. experiences and your Lovely story conversation. with yes. us. Thank you. Thank you, um, guys. And as you guys transition into a period of ads, may our sponsors comfort you. <laughs> Perfect. We'll be right back with more good Christian fun. <laughs> transition a into a period of ads. <laughs> it's like... Blue Apron selling crypto now, <laughs> like, or whatever. <laughs> Gracious. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Good Christian Fun. It's time to dive into the topic. Now, Martha, I know you didn't have... Sorry, I know that's really disorienting. That you didn't have that much of a spiritual background yourself. You weren't raised in the church, per se. Do you have any experience or any encounter at all with Christian media, Christian pop culture, or even just what is your impression of it from an outsider's POV? Um, I have always wished that I could feel born again because the few um, 
really devout Christians that I've known personally were um, pretty happy about it. And um, <laughs> I feel like that would be a great way to feel. Um, but as far as like Christian uh, music or film, I feel like the movie Signs, that movie made me cry. And I took it to be sort of a Christian-ish Explicitly yeah. Christian, I would say. The um, Science is explicitly Christian? Yes. Well, this is the 2002 M. Night Shyamalan movie starring Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix, in which Mel this Gibson plays a former priest uh, who is oh, then right. grieving oh, the loss of his wife and blames God for it. And so the kind of arc of that movie is him reclaiming his faith. Um yeah. Throughout that. Although with the help of a few s- little aliens. Or yeah. Whatever, I forget. <laughs> also what? Yeah. Well, I was gonna say I still don't understand how like I know at the end the thing his wife says at the scene of her uh deadly accident comes back to save them. Mm-hmm. But I, ne- I I still don't understand why she couldn't have just said that without being cut in half by a car accident. Like what, why did she have, what, how is it related to the death, I guess? Uh, you know, God works all things together for good for those who are called <laughs> to love him according to his purposes. So mm-hmm. it's a fair plot hole, the hole that was put into her body by the car. But um, what, mm-hmm. <laughs> Caroline, you look horrified. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, yes. So I guess that was yeah. poor grief. Well, I mean, how else are you supposed to mel- motivate Mel Gibson? Um you know, you gotta fridge the wife or any man, really, yeah. not for a wife or a daughter or, or a dog. Plot. Or hey, yeah. let's not let's not joke about that right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the discovery has to start somewhere, and it has to start in a coffin. See, and that's why John Wick was kind of revolutionary <laughs> because his motivation for doing everything <laughs> was not his dead wife, who was dead, but it was his dead was dog. Dead. <laughs> But those people didn't yeah. kill the wife. They killed the dog, which represented the wife. That sucks. Actually, now yeah. that I think about it, is he was more motivated by his dead dog than his dead wife. <laughs> exactly. What are those priorities? Uh, but wait, was his dead wife murdered or did she no, have she just like had a cancer. terminal? Okay. Uh, yeah. So it wasn't so, yeah. Caroline. I don't you know if your memory a, is they killed the wife spree. and he was fine, and then they killed the dog. He's like, well, now I've had it. The assassins caused <laughs> cancer. <laughs> he has to go get him. Well, I'd say an <laughs> organized Jackson. crime is a cancer on society. So that is true. Uh, wow, that is true. And also, <laughs> the movie The Matrix, which I recently rewatched, I think is pretty Christian, and I find it very moving to think of Christianity and the way they they kind of represent it in that movie, where it's like everything, anything's possible, mm-hmm. and uh, and you can fly if you believe in God. Yeah, you can fly, and evil can't hurt you. Ultimately, you can overcome evil, yeah. I think. I think, truthfully, there's a strong liberation theology read of The Matrix that would be interesting to interrogate, in, in addition to the obvious, or now obvious, trans allegory with it. But a movie that is probably not a trans allegory is The Shack. Or actually, it might be, given that you know Octavia Spencer's pop. I don't know. Well, I'll stop Papa. messing around with those terms right now uh, and just say 
<laughs> the shack. Okay, so Caroline and I talked a little bit before <clears throat> about what the shack is. It was a book that came out around 2007, 2008 uh, uh, by gentleman whose name I'm pulling up now but it was kind of a the narrative around it is very similar to JK Rowling's thing of like they were penniless and then they wrote a book and then it turned everything around although the JK Rowling mm. uh, narrative is a little different now yes William P Young wrote the shack when he was bankrupted and dead lost his house and then he wrote it so he could essentially sell enough copies for a film adaptation is how the story goes. And then there was a weird legal dispute over the film rights, blah, 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 who cares? But essentially, The Shack was a huge best-selling hit book in 2008, 2009. It sold 20 million copies, which is a lot, uh, especially for a wow. book back in the day. And it courted yeah. a lot of controversy because of what a lot of pastors, theologians, Christian thought leaders at the time identified as a heretical interpretation of the Trinity and of God. Because in the book, as in the film, you know, the Trinity is portrayed by people of different genders and different races, and people often think of members of the Trinity being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the book, as in the movie, the Father, or Papa, is played by a black woman. Uh, Jesus Jesus in the book is played by a Jewish man. I think his race is a little bit different in the movie. And then I don't know if the race is uh, defined in the book for the Holy Spirit, but it's uh, played by an Asian woman in the movie. And it made mm-hmm. people so mad. So many pastors <laughs> were so upset about this book that is, at the end of the day, a Christian novel that they people were sort of reading as a theology book of like, well, he didn't even cite his sources. It's not even an MLA. And this thing that I think, at the end of the day, whether I even agree with it or not, was meant to illustrate some larger things about God's love or the Christian faith and life and grief. People were just... So upset that he got the technicals wrong and was not very clear about <laughs> yeah. actually the Father is this and actually the Holy Spirit is this. Um, but the basic TLDR plot summary and synopsis for this book and movie is uh, after suffering a family tragedy, Mac Phillips spirals into a deep depression that causes him to question his beliefs. He faces a crisis of faith receives a mysterious letter urging him to an abandoned shack in the Oregon wilderness, which also happened to be the scene of the crime for the disappearance of his daughter. And despite his doubts, Mac journeys to the shack, encounters an enigmatic trio of strangers led by a woman named Papa. Through this meeting, Mac finds important truths that will transform his understanding of his tragedy and change his life forever. Which the setup of the movie, I don't know about y'all, but it kind of struck me as almost the premise for a play, in a way, like something you might see on the West End, very talky and very much about theological or ideological conflict, hardly any action to speak of, and sort of like metaphorical or allegorical casting. It felt more like theater to me than it felt like cinema or or a book, because it was just so yeah. talky and loaded in that way. Yeah, there wasn't one opportunity, I think, in the movie where they were like, show, don't tell. You know, I think it was always show and then tell just in case (laughs) as well. (laughs) Yeah. But I I didn't mind it. Yeah, so this movie, they finally made the film adaptation in 2017. It stars 
Um, you know, Sam Worthington, who we all know is Mr. Avatar, the star of the biggest film franchise of all time. We all have Avatar fever here on the podcast. We can't wait for Avatar <laughs> 2. It's the name on everybody's lips, Sam Worthington. We love his character, Jonathan Avatar, whatever his name was. And then Pop is played by Octavia Spencer. And also rounding out the cast, Tim McGraw is Willie. Uh, Radha Mitchell is his wife, Nan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah. First thoughts, impressions, how did this movie strike the panel? I just want to give a a trigger warning that I am uh, roasting and not toasting the movie. A preview, a preview (laughs) of the rating. (laughs) Um, She's tipping her hand. There there are a lot of things that I didn't think that needed to be included that were upsetting. Like you can establish that someone grew up in an abusive family without showing a child being beaten. I don't want to see that. Oh my God. Um, And then I don't understand why if the kid Mac, when he was a kid told his pastor and the result was he didn't get any help. That was upsetting. Um, uh, Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it. And I'm sorry to say this because it means it undoubtedly means I'm a bad person. I'm glad he killed his dad. (laughs) I don't, you know, I feel like that was the only uh, happy thing about his childhood was poisoning his dad. Was it the murder? (laughs) Yes. To be clear, the protagonist of the movie is a unconvicted murderer. Who, He's 13. Yeah. yeah as, as Martha yeah. was alluding to, he reports abuse from his father to the church pastor. This is kind of his trauma plot. He reports the abuse, and instead of intervening, the dad just beats him more and makes him recite scripture mm-hmm. and Bible verses and very upsetting. I don't know about y'all, but in 2022, I am getting more to a a, a puritanical perspective with some of the movies and TV that I watch especially when it comes to some of this stuff, like like um, depiction of depictions of abuse and sexual mm-hmm. violence, I'm always, I, I feel myself sounding like what my mom sounded like about the F word or seeing a boob in a movie <laughs> when I was a child, which is, why do they have to put that in? Why do they got to do that? Like, I, I feel yeah. that now about a lot of this stuff. Um, that I feel like, I don't know, maybe a little more prudish, you know? Not like people shouldn't be allowed to, depict sensitively you know this stuff but it it just feels bad to watch Um, (laughs) yeah it reminded me of um our experience watching redeeming love you know where you're going in like ooh, a feel-good you know movie and then surprise it's brutal (laughs) you know euphoria has nothing on this movie you know just the shit you're about to see and how sad it feels um (laughs) and uh yeah and like but and it's I think it's an maybe it's a question of genre you know like if this were a horror movie or a thriller movie or something like that maybe we wouldn't feel such a visceral feeling about it but because it is supposed to be like an inspirational thing it it only feels like it was put in there for just like uh, yeah like to, to jerk some tears or to like really bring out a really strong feeling in you and um yeah it, but it was just horrifying I, I didn't like yeah, yeah seeing the kid get hit with the belt and all that stuff um 
And honestly, even like showing parts of the crime scene with his daughter, I was like, is this necessary as well? Like, oh, that was just, oh. And this is coming from two people that watched all of True Detective season three. (laughs) Yeah. But But yes, you're right. It's kind of the bait and switch nature maybe of it or not being Mm -hmm. prepared. So I wonder, I'm Mm -hmm. sure something like this exists, but you wonder if there would be a good resource for just does this have any like child or sexual violence at like a website where it's like you can just look up whether it does or not. I have one for you. Well, plugged in. Plugged okay. In. <laughs> plugged in, which is a conservative Christian website, Martha, that does flag. But they will let you know. Objectionable content. But yes, essentially the story of the, of, of the movie and the book is that this man, Mac, uh, is traumatized by uh, not only his prior abuse as a kid, but then also the disappearance and murder of his daughter. Uh, which then affects the family. And then the second half of the movie is basically the Trinity comforting him and and helping him come to terms with the grief of it. And then also solving the crime and finding the body at one point, which is, uh, you know, I guess if you believe hard enough, God will help you uh, crack that cold case in the dark style. Oh, that's what was going on with that? That was weird. Oh, my God. It, that didn't make sense to me. And also, like, I, from the beginning, bl- I was sure that the father of the other two girls who helps him set up his camp when he gets there, oh I was God. sure I was sure that was the guy who kidnapped and killed the daughter. But we never find out who did it. No, although um, in the book, what they did excise, I think, you know, for good reasons in the movie, is that... God's special revelation to Mac does lead to the finding and conviction in a court of the of the murderer what? of the serial killer. Yes, that's kind of the book ends. Wow. And again, this is like again so much of what we cover on this show is dad fantasy. So it's a lot of true crime and a lot of like, well, here's what I would do if I was in the situation. <laughs> and so yeah. the whole thing was kind of wrapped in this who done it, I guess in the original book. And, which is why Octavia Spencer said she read the original book in press interviews for this movie. She said, well, you know, I loved the original book. I read it years before I even signed on to this. And I just loved it for the crime aspect of it, not even the <laughs> spiritual stuff. I didn't even <laughs> find out it was Christian until I started reading it. It's like the uh, stories. Which I think is a very huh. funny tact. It's funny. <laughs> as a way to to promote a movie. but Well, and we'll we'll get to this because... In the, I mean, some of these scenes pack such a wallop of like topics, you know, to to talk about about condemnation, about forgiveness, about uh, how to heal yourself or move on from something difficult in your life. And I think that at the end of the movie, that on this topic, that was one of my problems with it was I almost wish that the inciting event wasn't such an out there like really rare occurrence to happen to somebody that they had to work through and I think he obviously did that so it would be such an extreme example you know that would really like force you to confront good and evil but I feel like it almost would have been more effective if his if his goal was to help you understand your own life and your spirituality and what God is like if uh it was an everyday occurrence, or even if it was just about forgiving his father, you know, to be the inciting event that causes him to have to take this like spiritual pilgrim's progress through forgiveness or whatever. I think just adding the murderer makes it such a left field and ultimately not a very relatable story in some ways, because it's like, yeah. 
I mean, heaven help, <laughs> none of us have to experience that. But I don't know if it's actually that helpful to put that in as like the main um, story. I think you're right. That does cut off a lot of the yeah. accessibility of it. But I think, yes, it could have just been something a little more on ground level. Even if he had written in his own little story of, oh, you know, I just lost my job and I'm going to lose my house. Yeah. And like, oh, I'm experiencing a lot of uh, grief and anger because of that. Or even better yet, instead of the murder of a young girl, what if he just got in a little fender bender and he's angry at God? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like obviously that wouldn't be as an exciting of a movie or a book, but like maybe that was the point. Like he had to make sure people read it. But it, it also... I think it's so much easier for us to to choose like obvious conclusions when we're thinking of this really outlandish event that could happen. It'd be like, yeah, I think eventually I would find a way to forgive the murder of my child's like serial killer, whatever. But that I don't think any of us would react that way either. Also, that's my other big beef with this movie by the end of it. Is that no one uh, would react in which way? Uh, choosing to forgive the murderer. N- Even yes, in that's tough. I mean, you hear the stories of, you know, the parents of victims of school shootings forgiving the shit, but it, you know, it's usually just like the most devastating, you know, authentic conclusion for those people to come to. And this, what I was so struck by was that Mac, as played by Sam Worthington, all his sort of inqu- inquiries, his questions, his pain that he brings to this manifestation of God are really legit and probably things that we can all relate to in the sense of mm-hmm. oh, you killed God, then you abandoned me, then you killed this girl. What do you, what do you mean? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And all the answers are like, well, I'm good, actually, and I didn't do that. The devil did it. I made good out of it. And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> like It's all yeah. very pat for a very human, complicated pain it's it's very it feels like a rhetorical sort of band-aid put on it didn't help that like every single time he asked something like that and one of the you know trinity responds to him they always did this smug little laugh right at the beginning like well if that's what you think i worry about your kids or just something like that you know it's just like ooh, yeah. that little smugness always got me like hmm, you would think that human we serve a smug god <laughs> yeah and it was like he was just proud of it yeah like you said like a very valid angry sad issue and they were like huh. well let me get yeah. to the answer right away yeah um speaking of sad and anger my cat gary woke up i don't know if you've heard him he's been yelling in the background for like five minutes well he's kind of the fourth member of this podcast now (laughs) he he's like our mac and we're the trinity and he's got a lot of anger (laughs) questions for us i think too (laughs) mac i also don't know why the the wife mac's wife her entire relationship with him is very much a mother to a son not a wife to a husband and there's no there's no indication that she's grieving or that she wouldn't go insane if you're i i mean i don't have kids but if anything happened to my niece or nephew i would go insane and she's yes she's just like well i've got these other two kids and let's keep it Let's Mac, let's get it going. We got to keep it going and get, I don't know. That was weird. It really is like he lost his job and she's like, well, you know, it's going to be fine. (laughs) Not like, oh, a a human life was destroyed. That is, (laughs) that was my daughter. Yeah. It's very interesting. And he doesn't, 
he doesn't offer her any comfort at all ever. It's weird. Oh, it was so I, I know that scene where they're um, like in, by the lockers in the hallway or whatever, and he's like crying into her arms and, you know, he's he feels bad like it was his fault. Yeah, and you're right. And she's just comforting him when I think any wife in that situation would be like, yeah, it was your fault. And I'm so mad at you, you know, and all the crazy things you feel in that moment. Um, yeah, I, I felt like where was her journey to the shack and all that? Because like she was also going through a very horrifying thing and it seemed more just like she was just waiting for Mac to feel better, you know, and then they were going to be yeah. all good. Well, the, yeah. the one thing I wanted to highlight about this movie that I found to be sort of relevant to a lot of what we talk about on the show was the sort of malleability Oh, and we've got another visitor to the shack who's joined the podcast. <laughs> oh, Rosie, little sweet Rosie, and she's got some things to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes she wakes up from a dream and is convinced she's got to bark at someone, but she seems to be settling down. So <laughs> Who is it? You were. <laughs> um, but the portrayal of God and something we've talked about in the sense of gender in the way we perceive God. And we and Caroline, you've even spoken to the idea of sometimes like whether or not or whatever you believe on a given day, sometimes it is easier and more helpful to think about the feminine when it comes to the divine and the idea of like the maternal God and not the paternal God. And mm -hmm. the idea that's explicit in the movie is, oh, I took the form of the only woman who was kind to you in your youth, which is the form of the woman that he passes by in the flashback to his childhood because I thought you would be able to hear and receive my love better that way. I think it's a beautiful idea and something that I think even now in the evangelical church, it's such a barrier to a lot of communion or transcendence where it's like we serve a white God with a white penis dangling in between his legs like that that sort of strange orthodoxy as far as like the ironcladness of the gender and even in in this movie and story has no problem saying yeah i'm papa i am a black woman and i am papa and and that is a representation of a different sort of thing that we don't think about god so i thought that was lovely yeah and um it's sort of completed you know this was the start of a of a sort of series of films for octavia spencer because in this movie She's Papa. And then a few short years later, she would be Ma. <laughs> Ma. <laughs> and so I love that she can sort of embody both traits of parenthood. She can do it all. <laughs> and would I love to see a movie yeah. in which she does both at the same time? You know I would. <laughs> you know I would. So that part of I, it I found to be kind of nice. Yeah, I thought that was nice. I also don't understand why a spirit would need to have any gender because gender is explicitly for the purpose of reproduction. And for a spirit, you don't have to physically, I don't know. Um, that's just, I don't think of a, uh, I don't think of a suit of a higher power as being either male or female. I think of it more like electricity kind of, mm, um, yes. But I did remember one thing that I liked about the explanations of uh, Octavia Spencer about why the world is the way it is, is that if if one person has free will, then everybody has free will. Otherwise, it's not fair. 
And if everybody has free will, then people can do terrible things. And if, if hypothetically, if there is a God and he or she or it were to, to stop a, someone from choosing to do a bad thing, then they're removing free will. So like either I think of it as like either everybody has it or nobody has it. And if nobody has it, what, why even be alive? You're just a, you're just a game piece being moved around. That doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Um, having said that, still don't like the movie. I thought you were going to say, having said that, I would love to be a game piece sometimes, especially right now (laughs) in these unprecedented times. Yeah, that, I I was kind of like confused for a while, like where exactly the stance was on on free will and everything. I mean, because Mac asks God, every single version of God repeatedly, you know, where were you? Why didn't you help? You're omniscient. You're here. You tell me you're with me. All these things or you're working together for good. And eventually one of them says, um, where was it? It was like, oh, I, I, I think um, Papa says, I can work incredible good from unspeakable tragedies, but that doesn't mean I orchestrate the tragedies. And the, I think this is an issue that a lot of people had, and I think a lot of people who maybe identify as like Calvinist because they do see God as someone that like, allows some people to just be part of a tragedy and that's fair um which is a oof but uh the it seems to keep coming back to this conclusion that like the bad things that happen to you i don't like them but also it's really your perspective on them that's the problem and not like the fact that they happen or that it caused you deep pain it's more like, well, you just need to stop thinking about your pain so often or seeing the world through your pain or you need to incorporate the idea that I could be good into your pain and then you can heal. Um, and I don't know if I've ever been through a tragedy like a Mac or like what a lot of people have been through, but that would make me so upset uh, to feel like your pain is kind of being disregarded or that you won't be able to heal unless you accessorize your pain better than you are doing right now, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. that, that's an interesting idea. Because I think, too, in the book, there's probably more, because there's more runway for it, I think there is more in the way of language that is sort of a, a culmination or mishmash of different theologies, Christian theology as well as maybe some mysticism, um, what people might call New Age uh, spirituality as well, um, it, which the the movie doesn't quite get into. But like you were saying, Caroline, that stuff almost reads to me like Scientology-esque, where it's like, what if you simply didn't think about pain and didn't think about sadness? What if yeah. you didn't cry? <laughs> like that yeah, sort of like, or you just yeah. thought more about all the good I'm going to do sometime with it. Yeah. And, and they just keep saying, you just need to trust me. You need to trust me. And if you trusted me, then you would be able to relinquish your pain or the control you feel about this situation or the judgment you feel about the situation. But my answer to 
them, if I were Mac, would be like, well, you've not shown me any reason to trust you, <laughs> you know? Well, no, he Beyond, got to run on oh, water. That's a reason to trust him. <laughs> he has to, had a Beyond little marathon the, like, race. I just have to assume you're good and like <laughs> accept that that's the only way I will stop feeling so sad and so defeated about this, yeah. you know? Um, which yeah. doesn't feel like a fair offer. It's like, well, you could feel like horrible forever or you can just blindly trust me and then you can take the exit out of this situation. Yeah, that's weird. It's also weird that they that they ask him if he wants to stay with them or go back to his life. And like, yeah. you have to make the the Octavia Spencer Trinity experience a lot better if you think anyone's <laughs> going to pick stay, just staying there with them, repeating how Her good they marks. are. Oh, yeah, dear like, Lord. Just... It just, and uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't, not a fan. And also he totaled Tim McGraw's truck and it was filled with expensive, with a gun, camping equipment, no mention of God telling him to replace that truck when he wakes (laughs) up. It's just all, oh, I met God. And he said, he's especially, she said, Papa said, you're, he's especially fond of you. <laughs> Come on. Here's another thing that, that Papa said that uh, she was especially fond of, which kind of gets us into a transition to our segment Plugged In. Plugging in, plugging in. In which we go to Plugged In, the conservative <laughs> Christian website that does catalog and review <laughs> movies of all sorts and flags all the negative elements in it. And in searching for it with this one, it has all the sort of theological quibbles you would expect. But there's a section, friends, in which it says other negative elements <laughs> and the other negative elements in addition to here's the language they use. Here's maybe some sexual content. If it has any other el- negative elements include there's never any mention that Mac plans to turn himself into the, th- the authorities for poisoning his father as a boy. <laughs> Wow. So that is a very negative element. The respect for the law. Yeah. They don't kiss a cop. Negative element. Um, The other negative element that I could talk about for 25 minutes is Papa enjoys listening to songs by Neil Young and never offers any caveats for such troubling tunes as Down by the River. What? No, wait. What's... What's Down by the River about? I haven't heard it. Down by the River, which involves a confession by a man that he apparently murdered his girlfriend. I shot my baby down by the river, dead. Oh, shot her dead. So the fact that Papa just throws out, I like Neil Young, but doesn't give a full account for every song that Neil Young has ever written in a moral (laughs) defense of why she likes it. Is a negative element, and I think Papa it's time- learning what we all have, which is you can never, you know, stand a, a celebrity for long, uh, yeah, <laughs> without having some asterisks. But you know what, Papa did cancel her Spotify subscription in solidarity. <laughs> she did, she did it. She was like, you know what, I don't like this mix of information She's either. Like, I'm especially not fond of this <laughs> streaming platform. <laughs> well, as long as I have um, my Joni Mitchell. Hey, what the hell? Okay. <laughs> Okay, things I did like, there seems to be sort of a universalism going on, kind of a, you know, doesn't matter how you get here. 
I'll f- I'm Jesus. I'm going to find you and bring you up to the good place regardless. That was cool. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Um, is it undermined by wisdom suggesting that you have to send people to hell? <laughs> yes, I don't know. There's one, there's one scene <laughs> in which sure. Mac goes to a cave and encounters wisdom as personified by a woman. And she said, it's the time to send trip. one of your kids to hell. Which kid do you want to go to hell of yours? <laughs> Yeah, and then he said, "Now them take me." And then she was like, "Fucking, you see what I did there?" Or maybe uh, that was the point. Like, um, like God wouldn't send anybody to hell, so hell isn't real anyway. Yeah, you know, like don't worry about it. All right, that's good. (laughs) Oh, Caroline flipped. Thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) There's a there's a book, and I can't remember the guy's name. Maybe Emmett something, and it's about um. God, it's, I can't remember. It's a spiritual Christian book, but he says that hell isn't, can't be real because it suggests um, infinite punishment for finite sin. And so that was really, uh, then I was like, yeah, I can't, that makes sense. There can't be a hell. In my opinion, if you're, if there is a God that sends people anywhere that isn't good, it's they have to come back to earth. That's my yeah. version of what would be a terrible outcome is reincarnation. I Please don't let me come back here. Please, I'd rather. <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> because yeah, sometimes I think that's the ideal. It's like I wish I could live this life and then get a mulligan do-over. One more time. But for you, Martha, that's hell. <laughs> I don't want to come back because even let's say that you had a a super healthy, loving family who had plenty of money. You had every advantage in the world, including real love and connection. And then you got and you were physically gifted and um, and intellectually gifted and you got to do everything you ever wanted every day. You're still going to. Either you're going to get sick and die or someone, everyone you love is going to get sick and die. You're never, there's no happy ending to the human experience other than there isn't. I was going to try to save it. And I this mean, concludes episode been... one of Martha's group chat. <laughs> it's a, uh, there's no, the happy outcome I think would be that when you die, you're released from this terrible world of people suffering. Even if you're good, you know, people are suffering everywhere, somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, so get, let me get out of here. That's mm-hmm. the, that's the happy ending, except we're animals, so our instinct says dying is to be avoided at all costs. So it kind of reminds me of what the yeah. theologian, there's this theologian that I check in with sometimes, uh, and her name is Vanessa Hudgens. And one time she said, like, people are going to die, it's inevitable. <laughs> and that brought me a lot of comfort, actually. <laughs> there's so many great spiritual leaders in the celebrity community that came out during the pandemic that really gave everybody a lot of hope. And there's so many their perspective. Oh uh-huh. gosh. Yeah. And the work that they've been doing ever since the uh you the invasion from Yesha, mm-hmm. Russia into the Ukraine has been just yeah. paramount. Andy Andy ever. Cohen doing peace as his as his wordle that day. <gasps> John Cena tweeting out, I wish I was the real peacemaker for real uh, the day of the invasion. I mean, you know what? 
John Cena is a comedian. He's my favorite comedian. And so I think that was just a good joke. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what? really funny. What did he, what did John Cena, what was his tweet? I wish I was. I gotta find it. I'll find it for us. He plays the peacemaker in Suicide oh, Squad. And okay. then there's a, uh, there's a. kind of like a bad guy. Uh, TV show of the same name. And uh, yes, he said, if I could somehow summon the powers of a real life, hashtag peacemaker. Thank you. I think this would be a great time to do so. So he, it was actually even less of a strong sentiment than what I said. (laughs) Well, the issue I have with that is that it's not a Marvel character because I don't trust DC characters to get anything done personally. Wow. Oh my gosh. Now, now speaking to someone who is a part of the Marvel cinematic universe, um, yeah, I'm sure that resonates pretty hard. And the Disney Plus show of Martha's character. I mean, we don't want to spoil this, but Q4 on Disney Plus 2029, I think you might see a certain someone coming back. What? Yeah. No, we're announcing Who? it here. It's you. <laughs> Wait, are they bringing back tour guide number 1 to the Spider-Man <laughs> franchise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but oh my god! Didn't you notice there was a little something interesting about that tour guide? What's her trauma? You're gonna find out on Disney Plus over eight episodes. Uh, the show called Tour Better Than One. <laughs> hey, um, gonna be a great show. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I have a very serious question. Oh, please, about thank this you. Movie for you yes. too. Okay, because this is this was really I was scratching my head after this one, and I don't know where I'm where I land on this issue. Mm-hmm. So uh, the by the way, that cave scene with wisdom, that entire scene was so crazy. I feel like I could talk about that for two hours. She shows him his daughter in heaven in a meadow with a bunch of children. And he's just supposed to move on from that. Anyway, but um, yeah. she basically gets him to the point where he is saying the murderer is bad. And she's saying, okay, so you would send him to hell. And he's like, yes, obviously. (laughs) And then she's like, well, look at, you know, his childhood. He was beaten by his father, et cetera, et cetera. All of us were children. All of us have a past. Mm. All of us have these things that motivate us to do whatever. So you can't judge anybody. And then also, if you judge anybody else, you also are saying you have to judge yourself. And that is sort of the, the core of Max Payne is that he cannot forgive himself because he holds himself to the same standard he does everybody else. So when you remove the standard for everybody else, you can remove it for yourself. You can move on. But do you agree that like if someone did something as heinous as that murderer did to your child, in order for you to heal or to feel connection with your family again, with people you love, to have an optimistic outlook on the world or at least a positive do you think you would really have to forgive that murderer or feel some kind of compassion for them or do you think you could move on from that situation and not forgive that murderer and say there is no cause reason understanding I could bring to why that person would do that I'm more I think I if this is real life I could certainly Live a good life without that forgiveness, I think. I think it would be helpful, though. And it might yeah. be really productive. But it would be really fucking hard. I don't know if I could yeah. do it. I don't know. I, so I don't think it's literally a necessity for 
a vital life and to, mm. to, to have those extraordinary moments. But it is sort of like a put your money where your mouth is as far as the stuff we talk about the, on the show and as far as who's worthy of damnation or judgment, who's worthy of empathy and compassion, are people born bad, etc. All that stuff we get into. And the movie does kind of build out this argument is anyone worthy of damnation? Like, really? Actually? And confronting that is really, I think, offensive. Because then you have to roll it out to, like, are white supremacists worthy of damnation? What was the shit mm-hmm. in their childhoods that made them so fucked up? You know, like, ah, it's really hard. But the answer, which is a cop-out to your question, Caroline, is no, I don't think I would have to to be able to live a good life. But I think my life might be better. If I, if, if I was capable of it, but I don't know if I would be. What about you, Martha? I don't think I would um, think ever get to a point of thinking of someone fondly <laughs> in that way of forgiveness, the way that, like, um, I understand that happening with his father. And I think a lot of people, I mean parenting is like the hardest thing any human ever does. And so um, when at a certain point in adulthood, I, and I largely because of getting sober and the kind of this work that you do around that, I finally was like, okay, my parents were actually people with their own lives, their own things they've been through. And instead of only looking at what are the things I wish they had done differently and things I wish they could give me emotionally. I just made a decision to like see them like I see other people and want to be good to them the way I am to my friends or whatever. And Mm -hmm. then, and then we ended up having, we all changed and then we had a great uh, relationship for years the, but and so Mac forgiving his dad, it also helps that he murdered him. So my parents <laughs> didn't do anything to deserve to be poisoned, but but it makes sense that he and his dad forgive each other and love each other. I I don't know about the serial killer who the child killer, and I do think I don't believe anyone's born bad. Like I just think some people have an organic. Um, difference in their brain that makes it impossible for them to feel empathy. And so if they grow up in abuse there, that can switch into um, causing a lot, wanting to cause other people a lot of harm. Whereas if they don't grow up with abuse, maybe they're just kind of a selfish boyfriend or girlfriend or parent or whatever, but they're not a serial killer. Mm -hmm. But I do think people are born there's a tiny percentage of the population that is born with a different thing in their brain for empathy. And I still don't think those people should be, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't want to like, I don't want to damn anybody to hell, even though I do sometimes say that about one former president that I hope he burns in hell. But then Jimmy, it was Jimmy, Jimmy Carter, (laughs) I've had it with him. Fuck you, Jimmy Carter. Come on. We see (laughs) through it. He should never have have given up control of his peanut farm. (laughs) That was such a, that's such a cuck move. (laughs) 
Yeah, um, Jimmy Carr is the ultimate cuck president. I think he's we can such all agree. a beta. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm embarrassed. Disgusting. I'm embarrassed that I pretended to not love Jimmy Carter, but but I don't want to like I I don't want bad people to get to get away with hurting other people, but I also don't ever want to see anybody suffer punishment. I don't want to. So in that sense, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't send mm-hmm. a serial killer to hell. Um, but I would still probably till the day I died, be angry at them and think they were an asshole. Yeah. I, this, this is such a long answer for giving not a real, I mean, no, that's not what a it real is, conclusion. The difficulty yeah. of the question. Yeah. And I, I think you two have kind of like nailed it a little bit of, I think how I would handle it. Again, it's such a like wild out there situation, but I think Probably the best I could muster would be like, yes, context of maybe they have a piece missing that most of us don't and that was exacerbated by their life and maybe that's why they did this. But um, I think some of this movie kind of reminded me of how there were so many stories of like abuse in the church that came out and – you know, stuff that happened to women or kids or whatever at the hands of a pastor. And so many of the church's leadership, their solution was to urge the victim to forgive the perpetrator in order to bring peace to the church um, at the cost of the victim's own, uh, you know, self-dignity, care, you know, whatever, and almost to skip the anger and the grieving process and skip straight to forgiveness and uh, almost put more emphasis on giving context to a perpetrator than giving like care to a victim. And there were parts of this scene that reminded me of that, you know, like his his daughter was not m- murdered a long time ago. It was recent. And to ask him already to sidestep that part of him and to keep working on forgiving the um, murderer, maybe rather than like soothing his own pain, seemed hard. But also, I think that I I kind of agree that it would be really hard to love anybody or reconnect with them if you genuinely believe like some people are secretly really evil and you just won't know, you know, until like they do something bad. And that would keep me from moving on and like forming secure attachments with anybody in the future, unless I'm able to maybe not forgive, but like contextualize. And then I think the best I would do is like, I hope somebody forgives and loves that guy. And, but it won't be me. And I don't think it could be me. I don't think that's, that's like way too much to ask. Like maybe their family or their care team or somebody else will care for that person, but I don't think it's fair to make me do it. Right. Yeah, and yeah. hopefully you won't ever be in that position too. For more for more on that particular topic, there was this movie that came out last year called Mass that I really recommend people watch. It stars Anne Dowd, Martha Plimpton, and uh, two other guys, Jason Isaacs, and then a fourth guy whose name I'm forgetting. But it's about a meeting between two sets of parents. One one set of parents is the parents of a school shooter, and the other set of parents is the parents of the victim who's now deceased. And they're talking Oof. about what it like. What even is their relationship? It's super mm. well done, mm. and is very sensitive at tackling a lot of those themes about 
whether forgiveness is necessary in that way or not, because, or even if it is your responsibility, um, because that's, I think that's the kind of, maybe the false bill of good sold in this movie is like, well, you got to forgive so you can move on. And a mm-hmm. lot of the message of this seems like, well, if someone dies or there's grief in your life, I don't know, like be sad, but get over it eventually rather than sit in it and process it well, go through it, um, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I, 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 it, what you said made me remember it's only been a few months since his daughter was killed because his other kids are the same age. Yeah. That's really not the time. It's not. Yeah. It would be so funny if there was a line of dialogue like, Mac, it's been four days. Get over it. (laughs) (laughs) That's old news. That's last week's business. It's all fine. Oh, man. Oh, well. Anything else we want to talk about before. We give our Friday final ratings to this gem of a movie, which is on Netflix if you, the listener, are curious to watch it and not pay $1.99 to rent it on iTunes like I did <laughs> without knowing it was on uh, Netflix. <laughs> I would, well, Kevin, I was going to ask you if you were like maybe a consultant or like a writer on this Why movie. Why is that, Caroline? Because um, there's a scene where the Holy Spirit collects his tears in a vial, which I've seen you do something similar with sort of Dexter's like dribble. Okay, okay. Going to the bathroom. (laughs) No. And I was just curious if like they, that was just a weird coincidence. The implication is I'm saving my dog's fluids for some unknown project later. To clone him, I'm, or, uh, I'm in favor some sort of, of that. ice cream seasoning. I'm not sure. <laughs> I call this the Dexter Dribble flavor. You disgusto! I like Martha's idea better that I'm gonna do a Barbara Streisand and have Dexter 2.0 in a couple of years. I my dog is 11, and if I if I thought I could clone her and never live a day without her, I would. But I don't know. Yeah. I can't, I don't have the, I think it's probably expensive. And also, um, I don't even know if it works, but that the tear collecting the tears, I'd forgotten about that. And I don't understand why would the Holy spirit collect people's tears? That's, do you know, did you ever watch the TV show Hannibal? Of course. Yes. Loved Hannibal. So there's that one um, insane guy, sadistic guy. The Hannibal, tor- yeah, tor- it's the main guy. <laughs> it's a, it's another guy who's nowhere near as attractive as Hannibal, who torments his sister and random little kids. A r- super rich guy, and he collects tears. So oh. why would the Holy Spirit do that? Why does she do that? I I know it's it's like almost sweet, but then it, it there is like sort of a sick Victorian emo element to it as well that I don't yeah. understand. The allegorical purpose is don't worry, your grief and your sorrow has meaning, and it's all building towards a catharsis of sorts yeah. because the kind of final set piece before because uh, TLDR spoiler alert whatever. They the Trinity, as embodied by these three people, helps Mac bury his daughter for good. And then she's buried and a big, beautiful CGI tree sprouts up out of the ground. And then he wakes up 
and then he's driving, and then he wakes up again. It turns out none of that happened. He never made it to the shack. It was an all an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge situation. It all took place in his mind before he even got there because he got in a car wreck. But yes, that the idea was like the tree, the the tears were the watering for the tree, which I think is like a very almost Caroline like a John Piper esque idea of like don't waste your suffering, don't waste your sorrow. It's it's for you know to plant trees that you may never sit under yourself, but it's for the future. <laughs> I don't know, but it does kind of reduce every emotion and element of what a person goes through. As well, like, don't worry, this is for this. Don't worry, this is for this. Don't worry. You have to use this yeah. with this rather than the yeah. sort of messiness of being a, a, a living human encapsulates. <laughs> I, it was yeah. weird, but I had like cried that day that I watched the movie <laughs> about like something. And that part made me cry because she, after she col- or collects it or when she pours it out or something, she says something like, uh, he's like, why do you collect that? And she says, we all collect things we value. And that like really like was touching to me. Oh. I know it was a little corny, but I was like, oh, that that's like really sweet that um, the Holy Spirit isn't just there for your happy moments, but that like the Holy Spirit like values when you're sad or when you're grieving and like it acknowledges that that's part of what's necessary and like good for your life, you know, to like get that out. Um, so I thought that was like, and it, it was comforting to me to think of like a person next to me that as I was crying would be like collecting them and be like, I care about these, you know, wow. these matter to me. Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a comforting way to look at it. Um, I'm still really find it morbid that they had him dig the grave for his daughter <laughs> under the guise of we're doing some fun Gardening, look at this amazing garden with all these flowers and colors, super exciting. And I thought it was going to be like a what dreams may come type of CGI magic. And then it's like it turned out they're digging his daughter's grave. Yeah. Once again, not a fan. Heavy, heavy stuff. Yeah. I think it might be time to rate the movie. Now, the way this works, I mean, we kind of know what one of the ratings already is, but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> the way this works is we're going to give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. A thumbs up is a holy toast. We send this movie all the way to heaven. heaven <laughs> or holy roast. That's when we send it down. <laughs> or we could send it to purgatory, which is... The space start as per usual with Caroline Ely. Um, I am going to give this movie a space between because I think there were some very complicated ideas that this movie was trying to offer some comfort on. You could argue that it wasn't always successful, but there was a lot that I thought was, um, uh, I think like more constructive than bad. And, of like the modern depictions I've seen of a Christian God. <laughs> like this was really a nice one. Um, and I think, uh, honestly kind of aligns with a lot of things I already believe and like have yeah. found helpful of thinking of God as a maternal presence or even like one of my best girlfriends or, uh, you know, the fact that no one gets judged, everyone goes to heaven, everyone has context and a reason to be valued. Um, however, 
that I can't forget that scene where Jesus and Mac are just running across the water like track stars. And that's that was bad. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that one and the, and they're just, you know, like laughing. Um, so so that's given it a space between for me. <laughs> Our space between from Caroline. We turn it to Martha. Um, I agree with all the good stuff that Caroline said. Uh, it is really great to think of a God that's unconditionally loving and doesn't judge people. Um, however, I cannot get past the fact that Mac stole and totaled his friend's truck <laughs> and we never hear a word about it ever. So Tim McGraw just doesn't have a truck and... And has to be in the hospital. How are you doing, Mac? Never mind what happened to my truck and my gun and my camping equipment. I think he yeah. said he had a propane stove <laughs> in there. <laughs> this is a explode. bunch of st- this. There's a high dollar value on Max. <laughs> Bullshit. I got a note from God that told me to steal your truck and drive into the mountains and then total it. I can't get past it. It's a holy roast for me. I'm sorry. Well, Martha, I, I will say focus on the family is in agreement with you because under other negative <laughs> elements, they do say he also lies to his wife and steals his friend's truck. <laughs> so they did flag those. This this the is bad. Rampant disregard for private property in this movie is dangerous. <laughs> and I was, yeah, I agree with you on that. <laughs> I will give it myself a uh, a holy roast, but it is just kind of barely a roast for me. Just just because, uh, again, Caroline, I was just struck by how much good intention there seemed to be with this movie. That you know is a mess. One of, you know it, it it was poorly rated and reviewed when it came out. Obviously, Octavia is doing good work as she always does. Although her career is kind of in a funny spot right now, but here's here's two numbers that blow my mind: the worldwide total gross box office gross of West Side Story, seventy two million dollars as of recording today. The worldwide box office gross of The Shack, ninety six million dollars. This movie made more money than West Side Story did. Wow. This was wow. a big hit. They made it for twenty mil, and it it you know. Good ROI wow. on the shack. Yeah. Which shows you how much things have changed even in the last five years hmm. since this came out. But Wow. I, I you know, I, I wouldn't mind imagining Papa God to be Ma. I would love that in the future. That would be helpful for me. <laughs> it, mama. Call her Ma. <laughs> Don't make me pray alone. <laughs> Oh, gracious. So, yeah, that's it. That's it from us. Wow, we did it. And uh, that's the shack. And uh, I'll meet you all at the shack, all right. The Shake Shack, uh, the one in Burbank that we go to after movies sometimes. Um, Okay, but now it's time to bring things down to a more worshipful space. And Martha, you may have done other podcasts where you promote or pl- your projects or, or plug yourself, and we're not here to do that. We're here to lift those things up to the Lord as a lo- loving you. and yeah, thank you as a loving and humble sacrifice to Him. And uh, we do that by lifting up our social media handles, maybe what we're working on right now. But we're lifting up to Him, so it's not for the approval of man. And we start as per usual with Caroline in beautiful San Francisco, California. Well. 
You know, when you are on the internet, uh, come to the last shack on the left. That's where you'll find at Caroline's Farts, a cozy spot for all uh, with a hot cup of water for you. And uh, just water. The <laughs> just water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not loaded. I'm not being buddy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I. Gotta lift up the Gilded Age. Is anybody watching the Gilded Age out there? Wow, what a fun time. So gorgeous. Uh, so beautiful. So fun. So Baranski. Kevin, I can't believe you're not on top of this. I'm listening. It's most. This show is mostly women in your particular demographic. In my bracket, yeah. Yeah, like honestly, it takes a good 30 minutes before you see anyone under 50. Good time. Good times. Uh, Loving it, enjoying it from the maker of Downton Abbey. So you knew I was going to have fun. Um, so I hope you all watch it. It's on HBO Max. It's the Gilded Age on HBO Max. Thank you, Caroline. We turn it to Martha, who knows a thing or two about HBO Max. Martha, what do you have to lift up? I'm only the only thing I'm going to lift up. I don't want to lift up my social media because I frankly don't want anybody to look at it. It's an invitation to get bullied and I don't want it. Um, I am going to lift up to the Lord a wish, a heartfelt wish. Yes, for world peace, but wow. equally as important to send me an idea for a hit podcast so I don't ever have to go out into the world yes. amongst people Amen. again. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I got a few. I'll send your way as soon as we're done recording. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, my first one, it's an idea for a show of four women with different viewpoints. Maybe. A little too different. That's my first idea. Uh, that was the pitch for The View that Barbara Walters used to say at the beginning of each episode. <laughs> oh, gracious. Uh, you can lift me up at Kevin T. Porter. Everywhere, Peloton, Instagram, Letterboxd, and especially OnlyFans. The community is 19 strong right now. We're doing wow. great over there. Gained another seven. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> Poppin'. You know, this isn't a fun lift up, but I was I was pretty impressed by the We Need to Talk About Cosby documentary on Showtime. I thought it was very sensitively done. Uh, if you can stomach it. Obviously, if you can't, please don't watch. But uh, W. Kamau Bell does a really great job at contextualizing the whole saga, all the elements culturally that made it come to be. It very much reminded me of the O.J. Made in America documentary from a few years back in the sense of it didn't just focus on the more sensationalistic aspects of a person, but the Mm -hmm. kind of whole image and total um, impact of a person, both positive and obviously very, very negative. So that's on Showtime if you you can stand to watch it. And watch Euphoria on HBO Max. What a fun time. Huge fan. Check in with Lori. What's she going to do next? Oh, my gosh. What's she getting up to? I don't want to embarrass you, but just deeply enjoying this season love your performance obviously was so i've been keep playing it very cool this entire podcast wow very excited to meet you 
Well, that is very sweet and I appreciate it. And I am, I was very excited to meet you guys. I had hoped in person, but hopefully I have knocked it out of the park with my long stories to every <laughs> oh, yeah. question that deserved a short answer. I made it 10 times as long. So we got appearances from Gary. Yeah. That's no small change. Gary did, We've he waived Gary. his guest fee for this special episode. <laughs> He's a free bonus, and maybe one day we will meet in person. Ideally, no pressure, but would love it. No pressure. So, oh, I would love it, it too. You know, a little doggy date with Dexter and Rosie might be mm-hmm. in the cards. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, you can lift us up at Christian Fun Pod everywhere. Go to patreoncom Fun for more good Christian fun, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review we we donate a dollar to charity. This month's charity is Rain. And once again, Martha Kelly. Thank you so much for doing the show today with us. Thanks for having me. What a lovely time. And Caroline, there's nothing left for us to say except for, okay, Okay. I I love you. you. Thank Thank you, you, Emma. Emma. Amen. (laughs) And of course, we'll go out with the classic song from the Shack soundtrack, (laughs) Keep Your Eyes on Me by Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. This barn burner. Catch Tim and Faith on 1883, the Yellowstone spinoff, only on Paramount Plus. Oh my gosh. To go and blow Ain't it just like a tear? Holy Spirit catches your tears. Uses them for grace. All right, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. On the skin and underneath, yeah, when the pain. Goes and shadows everything. That was a headgum podcast.